You're listening to the Creating Your Own Path podcast, episode number 24. Hey everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jen Snyder, and as always, you can listen to the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. You can also catch a new episode every week at creatingyourownpath.com. As I mentioned on last week's episode, this show is venturing into the world of listener-supported content. If you're in a position to financially support the regular content I provide each week, I would love for you to head over to creatingyourownpath.com to see if one of the membership levels feels like a good fit for you. This show is a labor of love, but sustainability is the ultimate goal. As you can imagine, I would love to be able to do this work for as long as possible. So for that, my friends, I need your help. So head over to creatingyourownpath.com and let me know what you think. All right, so let's talk about today's show. If you've been following my blog at jenniferesnyder.com, you may have noticed that I'm in the process of slowly, very slowly, writing a book. And in the beginning, I really found myself wrestling with the various ways to kind of get a book out there into the world. There are a lot of options these days. And then I came across a platform called Inkshares. Essentially, the platform blends things you would normally find with a traditional publisher like editing, marketing, and production with the concept of crowdfunding. Because I was instantly intrigued with the idea, I decided to reach out to one of the co-founders to chat more about the platform. Thad Woodman is co-founder and CPO of Inkshares, and he was kind enough to walk us through the concept, share how the idea came about, and talk a little bit more about where he sees the publishing industry heading in the future. It's a really fascinating discussion, even if you're not really interested in writing a book. I think that even if you are a reader of books, you'll get some relevant information out of this episode. So let's get to it. Welcome to the show, Thad. Thanks for having me here, Jennifer. So for those who might not know much about Inkshares. Can you tell us a little bit about the platform and what you do at the company? Yeah, sure thing. So Inkshares is a crowdfunded publisher. Um, What that means is that we are a cross between a crowdfunding platform like Kickstarter and a traditional publishing company like Random House. Um, And to put a little color on that, uh, I'll just talk about the process, which is pretty straightforward. Um, authors pitch an idea for a book on inkshares.com. Um, then readers review that uh, pitch, that idea for the book, and they help fund it by placing pre-orders for the book. And Inkshares will publish the book once it has received enough pre-orders um, that cover the cost of production. So unlike Kickstarter, we don't take a commission on the pre-orders that help fund the book. So all of the funds go to pay for the production. Um, And this means that we pay uh, editors, designers, um, the cost of the first print run, um, making galleys, and then shipping and distributing the book. Um, So instead, our our business model is a little bit more like a traditional publisher. And we only make money when books sell uh, post-crowdfunding on the market in bookstores on Amazon. So I, I'm one of the founders of Inkshares, and you know I, I guess I've worn a lot of different hats. My main role has really been on the product side, working on the website uh, with our CEO Jeremy um, to create you know better experiences for authors and readers, and trying to 
leverage technology to make book publishing more efficient. Um, but then I've also worked a lot on the actual book production side. So uh, managing the uh, timeline and all the things that need to get done from when we receive a manuscript to when it actually goes out to stores. So um, I kind of jump back and forth between coding ones and zeros and talking to editors on the phone. Okay. So can you kind of walk through the process a little bit? I've kind of gone onto the site because I'm actually in the process of writing a book. So um, I, I, fa- I don't remember how I came across Ink Shares, but I was absolutely like fascinated with it. So yeah. um, I kind of played around a little bit, but can you walk through the steps on, on what people need to know, say they're writing a book or they have a manuscript already done? What's the step-by-step for them? Sure. Um, so uh, you go to inkshares.com and uh, there's a big button on the homepage that says start your project. And the first step is to just kind of walk you through and let you know about the, the process, what, what happens. I, I think a lot of people, you know, the, a lot of authors aren't as familiar with crowdfunding and the idea of crowdfunded publishing to those that are is, can still be a little murky. But again, the, the process is pretty straightforward. You uh, enter information about your book um, a lot of this is like just very summary level, the, the title of the book, the genre. Um, but then we, we dig into the details about the actual product, um, whether you want just an ebook or if you want a print book. And if you do want a print book, the number of words that it's going to be, the number of pages, whether you want in hardcover or paperback, whether it's going to be color or uh, just black and white. And we take all of that input and feed it through a funding algorithm that uh, comes up with estimates for the printing cost, the design cost, and the, the cost of editing the book. Um, and so all of those numbers uh, go into to form a uh, this kind of goal that you need to reach, the funding goal. And then, yeah, you know, we we take you to your project page um, and you can upload videos. You can share chapters. Uh, you know, we encourage people to write about 500 words, kind of pitching the idea, getting people excited about it. And then, you know, we do a, a, a brief internal review just to make sure that everything's in, is looking good. And then it, it goes live. And there's, uh, there's other, there's one other thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, we really uh, try to, prepare people for the crowdfunding process. I, I think a lot of people are surprised at how much work actually goes into to crowdfunding something. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think people have a, a notion because they've, you know, seen these projects on Kickstarter that go viral, like the potato salad, right? right. And they, they just have this notion that there are a lot of people out there that just kind of wake up in the morning and, browse the internet for new things to fund. And that's just, that's really not the case. Um, very few people go to kickstarter.com and look for projects. Most people that arrive at crowdfunding projects are actually coming there through social media or mention uh, a blog post or, uh, you know, maybe uh, hearing about something from a friend or by email. Um, it's it's very rare that that people will just literally just stumble on a, a crowdfunding project because they go to the site that it's being hosted on. 
to that point, we, we've tried to make some tools that really help authors um, leverage their, their primary and secondary networks to, to make a big splash and to you know, hopefully kick off some viral mechanics that will draw a lot of attention to the project and uh, hopefully make it less work for them. But you know, we, we don't try to make any illusion that, they're, um, that projects magically fund. Um, most projects fund because of the, the persistence of, of the author. But you know, I, I actually don't think that that's really anything unusual about being an author uh, in today's publishing world. Um, self-publishing authors have to, uh, do all of their own marketing. Uh, Yeah, that's, you make a good point. It it is a marketing and PR campaign essentially for pre-orders. Exactly. It it is, it's front loading the marketing efforts so the author can get the marketing out of the way and then really focus on the book and producing the book. Um, in self-publishing, you have to do those things simultaneously and it's very difficult. I mean, anybody that's marketed a book will, will tell you that, it, that it's a full-time job. Anybody that's produced a book will tell you that it's a full-time job. Um, and so doing those two things concurrently is, is very difficult. And, you know, if you are self-publishing, you, you really don't have an idea of what, what the market's like. You know, you're, you're, you're working on making a book that you're not really sure uh, you know, wh- whether or not people want it or how many people want it. When you do crowdfunding, you, you know that up front. You, you know that there's at least a critical mass of readers that want to see your book, and there are a sufficient number of them to subsidize the production of the book. So you don't have to go out of pocket as an author, and, you know, we, we usually don't have to go out of pocket as a publisher, though um, most of our books are, are pretty heavily subsidized by, by okay. us. Okay. That, I, I had a question about that actually, because you said that, and again, I know this from kind of just running through some of the requirements to, to post a, a project. And you said it runs through this funding algorithm kind of, that kind of comes up with a base cost that people need to hit. And so <laughs> I guess my question for ink shares is, is like, well, what if that algorithm is off? What if there's an over, you know, some some extra cost that you guys didn't sure. factor in? So does that come out of your pocket or does that come out of the author's extra uh, fund? Or how does that work? Right. Well, so, I mean, yeah, it's it's not going to be perfect. We have, um, we've had cases where the author has already done a lot of work in design and editing. And, uh, you know, we, we just don't have the need for a developmental editor, let's say, or, um, you know, a, the bulk of the copy editing has been done. In that case, you know, we will either uh, return the money to the author or uh, what's more likely is that the author will, will elect to have that money put towards marketing. And so, you know, this could go to PR, um, it could go to, um, you know, digital ad campaigns. I mean, there's, there's really no limit to the amount of money you can... <laughs> divert towards marketing. Absolutely. Um, and it's good to know there's flexibility there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, on, on the other side, you know, I guess the, I'll put a finer point on, um, saying that we subsidize our books. I mean, really what the, the money from crowdfunding does it is that it, it goes towards covering production of the book, which allows us to test the market for a book, but it, 
by no means is comprehensive. It, it doesn't it doesn't cover the entirety of the funds necessary for uh, selling a book that's going to be out in the market for years. So we subsidize, or rather, we uh, completely pay for subsequent runs. We have uh, an initial print run that is covered by the fund the 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 funds from crowdfunding, but. Once those books sell out, we have to go and use our own money to uh, finance subsequent runs of the book. Okay, with the hopes that it will then sell in bookstores and be distributed widely and be successful. Okay, I understand. That makes total sense. So I kind of want to get back to what you do at the company. So you said you kind of (laughs) wear a lot of different hats. So do you consider your work there creative in nature or is it more project or process oriented or some sort of combination of both? Yeah, this is such a great question. And it's, it's kind of hard to answer. I, I think I want to say both. You know, we, we believe that there's not really a set formula for book production and book marketing and that each book requires a lot of creative input from our team. You know, that said that there, there are some processes in book production that almost all titles share. So, you know, going through some sort of developmental editing, copy editing, proofing, making galleys, uh, gathering endorsements, coordinating shipping, distribution, etc. Our aim is to use our technical skill in-house to streamline these kind of non-creative um, project managing tasks and to really free up time that we can use towards more the kind of more creative sides of book production. Um, so this would be like figuring out uh, unique marketing angles and assets for each book, um, thinking critically about how the cover design of a book uh, applies to the text and how it appeals to a, a market, and then figuring out ways that the author can you know excite and engage their readership, which is going to be unique for each project. So you know, I, I guess a way I'd kind of sum, sum that up is that we, we're trying to use technology to uh, streamline certain parts of book production, which allows us to uh, devote more of our human hours towards uh, the, the creative side of book production. Okay, cool. I like that. So w- let's rewind a little bit because I want to go sure. go back in your history a little bit. So how did you get to here? How did you get to where you are today and kind of can you share a little bit about your career path? Yeah, sure. Uh, gosh, a lot of luck. <laughs> you know, I, I guess when I first had the idea for Ink Shares, um, I was working uh, as an analyst at an economic consulting firm in Brooklyn. And uh, I pitched the idea to a friend, actually a family friend, uh, who had a lot of experience in publishing and tech. And uh, he was, you know, the catalyst for a lot of this. He introduced me to other people that helped uh, refine the idea into a, a real business model and ended up, you know, going all in. They, they quit what they were doing and, uh, helped me found the company. So I, I founded Ink Chairs with, uh, Larry Levitsky and Adam Gomelin. Um, and then, uh, once we got up and rolling, we found this, this great, uh, technical wizard, Jeremy Thomas and brought him in and eventually, uh, made him CEO but yeah, it was really, you know, uh, Jer- uh, Larry and Adam that really made this made this whole thing possible. And, it, you know, it was the fact that all three of us were in a position where we could drop what we were doing and really dedicate ourselves to this. 
you know, without that, I, I don't, I just don't see any path to how, how this would have happened. Yeah. So it was a lot of good timing and, um, kind of figuring out who, you know, and yeah. the right people. Okay. Yeah. My, my position as a analyst at an economic consulting firm really, I mean, it was, uh, it gave me a lot of great professional experience, but it was hardly, you know, a, a springboard to the startup and publishing world. Absolutely. That's why I was, I was kind of interested to hear how it, how it came about. So, so what did you study then in school? Uh, philosophy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Which also, uh, hardly prepared me for being an economic analyst. I, I studied some economics in college. I, I studied enough uh, that when I, I graduated, I could kind of fake my way into an internship. Um, and then once I got that, I, you know, just learned a lot and kind of settled into a, a position as an economist and was actually, uh, before actually during ink chairs, when, when I was, when I first had the idea for, uh, ink chairs, I was, uh, studying a lot of math, uh, to apply to school for a, a graduate degree in economics. Uh, ink chairs was a, a kind of unforeseen, uh, sharp left turn that I'm very grateful for. Okay. So, so now you're at Inkshares, you're, um, you're kind of at the forefront of this platform and it's pushing the publishing industry to shift in a new direction. And I think we talked about this a little bit before we started the interview today, but crowdfunding in general is pushing publishing in an interesting way, but you guys offer something different. You offer the the backbone, if you will, of a, yeah. of a traditional publishing house. So what are some of the challenges that you guys see facing the publishing industry right now? And, and how are you looking to solve those problems? How does Inkshares kind of step up to the plate? You know, the problem with traditional publishing isn't, isn't really that modern. You know, I, I think one of the problems with traditional publishing is that it's, it's been really slow to change. And part of the reason is that it just really hasn't had to, uh, you know, the internet and digital distribution has really shaken up a lot of industries. Um, you know, uh, the music industry has turned on its head through iTunes, and you know, I, I think the the uh, movie industry as well has been really shaken up by by digital distribution. Ebooks didn't really, or they haven't yet done that to uh, to the book market. Um, they came out very strong, and they took a, a big bite. Um, but you know, they, it seems like they're kind of leveling off at around 30% of the market. You know, print is still very strong and, uh, you know, the, the, the big five publishing houses are still doing, you know, pretty well. Um, that said they they are, they're really nervous. I mean, I, I think they see the writing on the wall that, you know, they're, they're just looking at their cousin industries and, and knowing that it's probably not, you know, they, that they are not going to be in this kind of um, unusurpable. I don't know if that's a word, but you know, in, in this this uh, privileged position that they've been in the last thirty years, right? Last thirty years, which is something. It's saying something. Well, uh, gosh, I, actually, thirty is being very conservative. I, you know, it's sure. really been since Gutenberg. Um, and the, you know, I, I think the the main problem with traditional publishing is actually the risk that the traditional publisher bears and. You know, this I think is the really, really powerful thing about crowdfunding that people are, you know, just starting to get. Crowdfunding allows the author and the publisher to unload an incredible amount of risk. 
and you're not passing that risk back on to the consumer because the consumer is still getting something out of it. You know, it's not right, like right. people are just throwing money at projects and not getting anything in return. In fact, and this is a bit of a digression, but this is one of the most interesting things that we saw early at Inkshares is that when we started selling books or selling pre-orders for books, uh, we, we were pricing them at, you know, the kind of post-market what you would expect. You know, we were, we were saying like, oh, a children's book's going to be like $15 and uh, a trade paperback, you know, 18 And we consistently saw that everybody was uh, pledging more money than the book was actually worth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, we had like three options. You can get like an ebook for $10. You can get a print book for uh, $15 or, you know, $20. And you can get your name in the book for like $30 or $40. And then we saw like everybody was clicking the most expensive option. And so it really changed how we viewed pricing. And, you know, now we kind of, walk the line between uh, considering these pre-orders, a, you know, a legit, what like a, a kind of normal market purchase uh, and considering them more of something like a uh, kind of patronage paradigm where people are uh, contributing to the project, not just because they want a book, they do want a book, but they also really want to see this book. It's, it's not like just another book they're buying on Amazon. This is a book they really care about. It's a, this is a project they, they want to engage in. They, they want to get updates on the project. They want to have a line of communication with the author. And that's, that's worth more to them. Anyway, so that is, that is a big digression from what we were talking about before. No, but I think it's an int- price point is always an interesting discussion, whether you're talking about um, a handmade bowl or, you know, a book or a piece of art. So, you know, so I think... Um, it's always important for people to kind of hear yeah, what what goes on kind of behind the scenes for that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, it really, really feeds into this, um, the, this dynamic of crowdfunding, which is that a crowdfunding platform allows authors in the publishing house to just get rid of a lot of risk. You know, the, the traditional model uh, has the publishing house financing all of the production the editorial, the design, the first print run, the marketing, and they're, they're really exposed. You know, they, they can spend twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 on a book, which they have no idea whether or not it'll sell. Right. You know, they're, they're kind of going off their, their gut instinct and, you know, what books like Harry Potter and, um, gosh, even like Steve Larson. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to find a case of, uh, an author that had an easy time getting into traditional publishing. Uh, you know, J.K. Rowling was rejected eight times. Um, Which is so nice to hear, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's nice to hear that I think people um, see the success story, you know. Right. And then um, don't realize how many rejection letters came came her way, so. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it, j- traditional publishing houses just, they, they, they really task themselves with a, a really difficult job of, trying to select the the next big winner based on their experience or instinct and then putting up the the financing necessary for that. And so, you know, it's really nice about our model is that we kind of take both of those things, the selection and the financing to the crowd. And so that really changes the whole risk calculus for us and it allows us, I mean that that is the only thing that allows us to give 
50% of gross royalties, um, I'm sorry, gross revenue to the author. Right, which um, is a, a pretty big, can you talk about that? We base our number on uh, gross revenue, which I think is a little more uh, straightforward. When we started getting into this, we, we found that there's really no agreed upon conception of a royalty. Um, some people or some publishing houses will subtract the cost of sale. So they will take, okay, like $10 from the uh, uh, bookstore for a single book and they will subtract out, uh, you know, maybe 20 to 30% for the uh, distributor um, and then maybe another 30% for the cost of the book and shipping. And then once you have taken all those numbers out, then you're left with $5. And then what you're splitting with the author is not $10, it's 5 And so we just thought it would be much easier, much more straightforward to go uh, right off of the, the gross revenue that we're receiving for each book. So if we sell a book uh, on inkshares.com, it usually means that we'll get the list price of the book or something close to that. Um, so that'll be you know 15 or $18 in gross revenue that we'll, we will split 50-50 with the author. Right. It's it, You're right. It's There's no um, gray area there. It's just kind of a straightforward number that people can digest, I think. Right. When we started asking around about what authors thought a royalty was, we were just like, wow, there's really no uh, agreed upon conception here. I mean, there are a lot of people that think it goes off of the list price. Um, and yeah, it's a, we, we just thought that it would be much much easier to just use the gross revenue, which is whatever we get for the sale of the book. So Amazon will buy at a discount, bookstores buy at a discount, and sometimes we'll do bulk orders at a discount. Um, so, you know, whatever that discounted price is, we, we split 50-50. Okay. Okay. That's a, I, I hope everybody listening is okay with hearing numbers because, I'm I, again, I'm really interested in how that all breaks out. So let's kind of talk about what it's like being a part of a startup. <laughs> Um, you said you, you kind of gave us the backstory a little bit, but I think a lot of people see the startup world and maybe it's Hollywood's fault. I'm not sure, but they see it as this like glossy, glamorous, fast moving, super exciting thing. And yeah. can you kind of share some of the realities with us a little bit, um, kind <laughs> of dive into what it's like for you guys and what it's like to be part of a founding team? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I mean, it's a little hard to sum up. I, you know, I guess I wouldn't take issue with a couple of those adjectives you used. It, it, it's certainly fast moving. Um, it, it can be very exciting. But the glossy and the glamour part, uh, maybe maybe not so much, at least not for us. But then again, we didn't found Snapchat. Um, right. Right. So right. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure not all uh, startup experiences are identical. I guess the, the, the thing that I've observed in my own experience and just kind of looking at other people that are working in, in small teams that, you know, aren't composed of rock stars from, uh, Facebook is just the, the incredible amount of work that goes into a startup and, uh, just how, how life consuming they are. And I think that kind of goes against this notion that they are, um, uh, in any way glamorous, you know, most startups fail. And so if you put those two things together, you have somebody that's working for, you know, a year, two, three years uh, in this completely life-consuming endeavor that ends up failing. Um, so uh, 
I think that is probably a more accurate conception of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Um, uh, and I, again, like, I think that kind of works against the, the notion that it's, that it's glamorous. But yeah, you know, I, I actually think that a lot of the stereotypes that people have about uh, Silicon Valley, uh, the Silicon Valley startup world aren't completely baseless. You know, the, the show, like Mike judges Silicon Valley on HBO. I think like, I don't know it. Almost everybody that I know that has seen that show is like, wow, that he like really nailed a lot of stuff. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's certainly, it, it, you know, especially this area draws like, um, I don't know how to put it like these very enthusiastic characters, um, people that really do think that they are going to like fundamentally change how the world works through their new social app. And that isn't baseless either. I mean, you know, I, I think technology has really had a profound impact on it, but it, it really goes to, um, I don't know. It, it certainly, there's been a trend of, uh, it, inflated egos around right a gold rush type situation where you know people are flocking but maybe not all ideas will float basically yeah yeah and that's that's how it's supposed to be right absolutely survival of the fittest a little bit um so can you talk to me a little bit about side projects um i i don't know a whole lot about what you do outside of ink shares but i'm a big believer in dabbling so do you have any like other ventures that you're working on? Um, no business ventures. Um, okay. I, I have uh, kind of a nerdy dream of having like a month to write some JavaScript libraries that I think would be really helpful to making a kind of new online reading experience. Um, but yeah, I just haven't quite had the time for that. I guess I, I feel a, a a significant amount of guilt whenever I start using my computer for something that's not work. Ink shares related. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so when I'm not doing ink shares, I, I really like to try to pry myself away from the screen. Um, I don't know. I, I play mandolin and guitar and hit tennis balls around and I don't know, just try to get my head out of work. And anything that, that helps me do that is, I, I think is great. You know, I usually in these interviews, I kind of talk about how people manage that because I know that it's all consuming because you are the one driving the car. You're the one, (laughs) you know, you're in charge, you're making all the decisions. And so it can be really hard to kind of pull yourself out of it. So that's good. You have creative outlets, music, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and another thing I think is really important is to recognize when you're starting to kind of burn out or enter into diminishing returns where, you know, each additional hour you put in is actually, you know, it's, it's less and less productive and you would be much better served by just like going to sleep or (laughs) just like wrap up your work for the day to reset and to, to hit it fresh. I think, you know, it's, it's really hard, you know, it's, it's hard because you don't have somebody saying like, okay, you're done for the day. There's always an endless amount of things you can be doing. And it's, it's kind of hard to see when you're you're starting to, to to kind of fizz out, and so I, I I've been able to recognize that a little bit more, and I'll I'll just put my work down and kind of decompress for a little bit until I'm kind of rejuvenated. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, my first episode of this new season went live, and I spoke with 
CJ Alvarado of the Snippet app. I don't know if you're familiar with the Snippet app, but he, he talked about kind of a morning ritual that was like sacred, no email, no, you know, he actually sits at a typewriter. Nice. Just kind of, yeah. So it, it, you have to be really intentional about it when you work for yourself, I think. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I think that's, that's really the best way of putting it. You, you, you have to be intentional. Otherwise, you, you know, you just kind of go on autopilot. And in many cases, that autopilot's just going to lead you to your inbox. <laughs> right, which is never a good idea. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so let's talk a little bit more about advice since we're already kind of on the topic. But if, if you had any advice to offer somebody who is looking to start a business or co-found a, a startup company, what would that advice be? You know, I, I think everybody starts with their own notions of what it's going to be like to to start a company. And so I guess I can only really speak from my like what what my preconceived notions were and the things I was surprised by. Absolutely. Yes, if there's anything where you were like, "Man, I wish somebody would have told me this." <laughs> Here's yeah, I, I guess people did tell me this and I just didn't it's not that I didn't listen, but when you're starting something, like everybody's just telling you everything. And so it's so easy to look back and just be like, oh, if only I had listened to that person a little more. But then you remember, it's like, well, wait, I mean, there were also like these five other people that were telling me to do things that I did and like it worked out. <laughs> so, but yeah, for me, I guess I, I didn't appreciate the importance of uh, a team and the, the human dynamic. I, I, you know, when, I guess when you first have an idea for, uh, a company, uh, or an app or, or whatever, it, it's about the, the idea, you know, it's, it's usually about the product. You, you don't really wake up and you're like, oh gosh, like, wouldn't it be great if I started something with these people? It's right. more like, oh, wouldn't it be great if there was this app or a website or a company that did this? And it's all, you, most of your mental energy is focused on, the product and the, 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 the business problem and the model. And, you know, I, I think it's difficult to realize that the team is really just, it, it's, it's without, without the right team, like nothing is possible unless you're just a, a kind of one person, you know, Swiss army knife and you can <laughs> do everything. And, um, uh, you know, you're writing like a simple app that doesn't require more than, you know, yourself and like a couple of consultants. Like, yeah, the, the team is just so insanely critical. That's really good advice. And um, I've talked about that with a couple other people that even because, you know, I work primarily alone as, yeah. as, as a writer and, um, you know, freelancer. So, but uh, I'm not sure that the team has to be like coworkers necessarily. It could be, you know, a business group that you're a part of or, sure. you know, anybody that you can surround yourself with so that you're not this island just hoping that something works, you know? Yeah. And that, that actually brings me to another thing, which I, I think is really important. Um, you know, I think uh, it's, it's really easy to get very protective of your idea and to like be wary of sharing it with other people. And I just couldn't, you know, I, I had a lot of people, especially in the tech world, say like, look, like really, like nobody's out to steal your idea. You really just have to tell as many people as you can. And I was, I was pretty skeptical of that, but I, I couldn't agree with it more now. I mean, the, 
the the enemy of a uh, of a of a new company is obscurity. It's not people that are out there to steal your idea. And there's no better way of becoming obscure than not telling people what you're doing, um, and to to not get you know the right people excited about what you're doing. Um, so I would I would really go the opposite direction and try to tell as many people as much about your idea as you can. Um, once you get into actually funding it, you know, raising money through angels, you know, it's, that's going to change a little bit. Um, you're, you're going to want to have some things that you, you know, that you have up your sleeve that not everybody knows or a certain vision of the company that you share with your investors that you don't share with, you know, um, somebody, your co-working space. But just in terms of incubating an idea, um, there's really no better way, I think, of uh, developing it in the early stages than to tell as many smart people as you possibly can about it. That is incredible advice. And I'm over here nodding like you wouldn't believe because <laughs> the startup that I attempted to launch after I left my full-time job, that was my pretty much my biggest mistake. I got some some bad advice early on to keep it close to the vest. And, and, I, and I did. You know, I really kept it quiet and, and just tried to build it as quickly as possible, which also didn't happen. So, so there, therefore, I'm not only there's the element of being obscure and nobody knowing what you're doing, but it also took longer than I thought it would. Right. Sure. So, it, great advice. Tell smart people. Have them give you feedback. Um, all of those things are really important. So, yeah. And there's there's one other big thing I want to mention um, is that you you cannot. How do I want to say this? Marketing, it pretty much trumps product. You need to have a really clear idea of how you're going to get people to use your product. You know, the internet and just the general market for apps is insanely saturated. And it is so difficult to get people to get excited about your project, uh, your, your product, to, to get consumers excited about your product. And so I, I, I think one of the one of the easiest things to do, but also probably one of the, the most misguided ways of thinking is that if you just make something really awesome, people are going to come. If if you book them, they will come. And that really I think for most people couldn't be further from the truth because it just takes so much energy to get people's attention nowadays because there there's so much out there and you know, you could have the best product in the world, but if you don't have a way of getting people to use the product, then, you know, you're, you're really never going to, going to get anywhere. I, I think a lot of amazing products die every day because people just don't know about them. That's um, a really good point. <laughs> so it's never, ever too early to start thinking about marketing. In fact, I would say, you know, as soon as you have any sort of business model in place that you should have just spend as, as much time as you spent, uh, forming the, the business model as to thinking about your, uh, you know, user acquisition strategy, you know, how, how are you going to get people to use or to buy what you want? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And so that actually kind of leads into my next question, which is actually using the book as the product this time. So, mm-hmm. um, 
so kind of do you have any advice for authors who are looking to use ink shares because they're they're going to face the same issue right we talked about that with crowdfunding that it's really front loading that marketing campaign so do you have any more advice for authors who are looking to use ink shares as a platform to launch their next book yeah um i i think the more time that they spend really thinking critically about uh their marketing um and kind of researching other projects that have done well, not only on Inkshares, but Kickstarter and Indiegogo, the, the, the more prepared that they'll be to, to start a crowdfunding campaign with us. You know, we uh, are working on some new features that I think will, will make this much easier. But, you know, I, I, again, like, I don't think that there's any way around a lot of the marketing efforts that authors have to do nowadays. And, uh, you know, I think if they if they come to Inkshares knowing that, knowing that, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're produced by Penguin or Random House, like you're, you're going to have to do a lot of marketing, then, you know, I think they'll be more prepared to spend the time and energy that they need to, to do a successful crowdfunding campaign. The other thing is that, you know, a lot of people come with like these really awesome, but, you know, overly ambitious ideas. Um, and I think there's not as much of a concept of a minimum viable product in the publishing world as, as there is in the startup world. And I think that is a really useful concept to a lot of people. Um, I'm, I'm very keen on um, projects where the author just wants to do uh, first installment uh, in ebook form. And so that really reduces the the amount that the that they need to fund, and it it really it, I, I think it's the best way of really testing the market, which is what this is all about. I mean, anybody that's publishing a book, unless you know, it's Danielle Steele, um, three books into a you know five book volume, like you, you just don't really know what the market is for your book, and so really kind of getting it down to the essence of like what makes your book interesting. Uh, you know, what, what, what are you adding? What are you doing that somebody hasn't done before and really driving in on that, um, and, and testing that and seeing if people are responsive to it and then also adapting your book to the response that, that you see. So, you know, I think there's just an incredible amount that you can learn from a a, a much shorter project that will help kind of form or expand the 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 concept if that makes sense and i think i think this is much easier for genre fiction than it is for let's say a cookbook or you know a uh you know comprehensive book on the life of winston churchill those projects are these kind of big all or nothing um but a lot of projects aren't and i i would really like to see authors kind of distill um and test uh, ideas, um, even if it's not the end product of what they want. And the only thing I'll add is that, you know, once a book gets traction, even if it is an ebook, you know, it just opens up a lot of opportunities. Can you talk about that a little bit? So let's say somebody uses the platform at just to just do an ebook, right? And then uh-huh. the minimum that they'll have to raise is not that significant, really, when you're looking at people who've raised $50,000 for a, a crowdfunded book. And so 
what's that next step? So let's say it does really well. Can they then look to you guys and say, hey, I really want a print option in stores and online? Is that the next logical step for them? Yeah, I mean, we would love to see, and we haven't we haven't seen this yet, but we would love to see an ebook do really well, and then to do another campaign for uh, a a print book that maybe expands the the ebook, or maybe do like if it's a serialized fiction, um, do the next in print form, and if the if the I guess entire um, story not just you know the serialized components are doing well then of course like that's going to turn into a uh a, a print series um we don't have that codified in our in our platform but you know we would step in as a publisher i think to 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 make all of those books uh, a, a physical reality okay so kind of the, whatever the logical next step is based on the situation you guys yeah. can, I guess that's what I'm, I'm kind of getting at is I really appreciate the flexibility there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's something you don't necessarily, because to me, a Kickstarter campaign, it's, that's it. You know, it's hard to go back to that well and draw from it. Once, sure. once you've had a, a successful campaign, hopefully that's it. Uh, going back again and again and again and trying doing to do another Kickstarter campaign, um, your networks get <laughs> burnt out a, a little bit, I think. So, so you kind of have that uh, marketing challenge, I think, in the background. So it's it's nice to know that having that solid publishing base, if you will, mm-hmm. on your side, <laughs> you know, with this sort of um, marriage between the publishing and the crowdfunding is that's I think important for authors. Yeah, yeah, and the only other thing I want to add here is the the fact that we have a partnership with um, Ingram, um, which is the largest distributor in the world and also one of our investors. And you know, they uh, w- once they see a book get traction, there's a lot that they can do to drive um, pre-orders through bookstores. And you know, the, w- once you're actually uh, in, in the system, there's a lot that we can do. Um, it's, it's not, it's again, the, like you said, we're, we're a lot different from Kickstarter in that way. We are, we are a publishing house that has contracts with Ingram and we have contracts with, uh, R.R. Donnelly, which is our printer. And, you know, there, once, once we see traction from a book, you know, that's when we start acting like more of a traditional publisher. Um, and, and I'll just reemphasize one, one more thing is that we, we don't make any money as a company until books actually sell. Um, so we, we don't take any money, money from the, the uh, funds that are raised for the production of the book. We, we only make money when they're actually published. Right, right, which is an important thing to kind of think about. So you mentioned some new features. So what's kind of coming down the line for, for you guys over at InkShares? Can you share any, anything with us? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, or just in, in general terms, I'd be happy to. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think when we did the first iteration of the site, um, and really the company, we've, we've been much more focused on solving the selection and funding problems of, of publishing. Um, so we used crowdfunding as a way of finding content and, and funding the content, and therefore changing the risk equation of a traditional publisher. You know, that, that's really only the beginning of the publishing process. There's, you know, production, there's marketing, uh, and then the, the reading experience itself. I would say the biggest thing that we've 
the, the biggest uh, want of a lot of authors, the biggest desire is uh, help in marketing. Um, and we have, I think, a really amazing position to make some great marketing tools. One of the things that we have that no other publisher has and people certainly don't have in self-publishing is an idea of the market for a book before it even goes into production. So, you know, we can know a lot about the audience just from what we see um, from the people that, that are purchasing the book. Um, so, you know, right now we've kind of uh, stayed away from social integration. Um, that I think is something that we're going to we're going to pursue a lot more heavily. You know, being able to uh, glean really interesting demographic insights from the people that have backed your book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and nothing creepy, just kind of like overall sure, uh, sure. qualities like gender, um, location. Uh, maybe other interests, um, which will really help form the marketing plan for the book. And then the other thing along similar lines, but it's different, is is being able to uh, really engage this core group of readers to to get them really excited and to put features in place that uh, makes it easier for them to share with their networks. And so the idea is that this is kind of like the core uh, kind of audience for the book, and you know it's it's the kindling that'll light a, a bigger fire, and so we want to be able to give them the the opportunity and the kind of uh, experience on inkchairs.com that gets them excited to tap into their own networks. And so we're really dealing not with uh, the the primary network that is backing the book, but you know tapping into their secondary and tertiary networks and getting them to to share and really be excited about the the content that we have on our site. So to that end, we we're also working on some features that I think will make reading sample chapters or maybe even reading entire books on Inkshares a lot more interesting and engaging. Oh, that is interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I, I, I can't be a lot more specific at this point. but That's totally okay. But, yeah, I guess to sum all of that up again, we're – starting to look more towards the marketing and reading experience uh, in terms of uh, our next uh, development milestones. Excellent. Well, we'll kind of keep an eye on all of that. So for those listening, is the best place to go is inkshares.com, right? Absolutely. Okay. And then where can they find you on social media? Is it just at inkshares everywhere? Yep. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Thad. I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Jennifer. I am so grateful to Thad for coming on the show to kind of walk us through the ins and outs of Ink Shares. And I also really appreciated his advice. Even though he's speaking from the perspective of a Bay Area startup, I really think his advice could be applied to any business. As usual, you can find the show notes for this episode over at creatingyourownpath.com along with supporting membership information. And remember, if you enjoyed these episodes, please be sure to head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.